Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Miller. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you. Hi, and welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Pedro, the Portuguese prick, and he wanted to name the podcast exactly that. Now Pedro went through prostate cancer and he had quite a challenge in even getting to the point of trying to make the decision to get treatment. So this time the discussion around prostate cancer is not your typical one. And I really hope you get lots out of this one. It's completely different. It's more of a psychological analysis, and octopuses also feature. So, enjoy Pedro, the Portuguese brick. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Milios, and this afternoon we're absolutely delighted to have with us the Portuguese prick. And Portuguese prick has decided that he'd like to be calling himself that name for, I'm not sure what reason, let's get you to tell us why you'd like to be called the Portuguese prick. Certainly, there is a heritage on my side with Portuguese, so I'm quite mixed, a mixed bag, but I thought the Portuguese prick just sounded good. And, yeah, in the context of how we met, so we'll go back a step. Uh, you were diagnosed with prostate cancer. That's correct, yes. And shall I call you Pedro the Portuguese? Pedro's fine, Pedro yes. Pedro the Portuguese prick. We might just say Pedro so I don't have to say Portuguese prick okay. every time. <laughs> Okay. Um, so tell us a little bit about your diagnosis with prostate cancer, Pedro. I uh, volunteered my services to the Alzheimer's Foundation. Um, before that, I was perfectly fine. I had a full medical six months prior to that with flying colours. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, it's only until they did my blood tests at the Alzheimer's Foundation that I got a call from Dr. T one day. And she said to me, Ross, your PSA levels are alarmingly high. And I said, so can you please tell me in English, what are you saying? <laughs> and she said, basically, you've got to be tested for cancer. So there was pin drop silence on sure. my side. Yeah. And it was a bit of a shock to the system. And uh, so I immediately went and got my blood test with my GP. And uh, the levels were high, 8.2. The and, PSA uh, was 8.2? The 8, prostate 8. specific 2. antigen? Yeah. Yes. So immediately, I think I went into a spiral downturn because both my parents had died of cancer, three of my uncles died of cancer. 
So mm. I immediately got the half glass empty sort of approach to the whole thing. And my wife would actually say the same thing that I'm pretty negative when it comes to things like this. But I, um, having said that, I, I guess all that dark side started very early in my journey because the cancer thing was my mum had died not so long ago and it was the still fresh. Of, of, yeah, yeah. The recent so experience. it's a bit fresh. And, and then I started to research quite a lot after speaking to Richard Pemberton about uh, the process and what I had to do. And everything that I read was alarmingly black or dark um, okay. because I guess as a male and looking at your penis, uh, I've, found it really hard to deal with, mm. that it's actually part of you. And as much as I tried to explain it to my wife, she didn't quite get it. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, was, um, it was daunting because I then didn't know who to turn to or ask advice from. Um, and people that had, um, had the procedure uh, all appeared to be experts. Certainly I was surrounded by experts and everyone saying, oh, it's only your prostate. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, you know, if you had to have a cancer, that's the best one to have. Right. And I was thinking, how can this people This is not be good news. Cancer so is not good news. No, yeah. everyone was so blasé about the whole thing. I have been guilty of saying exactly that to, yes. pay, to people. Oh, yeah. if you're going to have cancer, it's the best one to have. And I think it's well-meaning, but obviously uh, you're not the first person I've heard say that, that's not really a helpful expression. No, it, it wasn't helpful because it was like treating it very um, much like the common goal. Don't worry about it, it'll go away. But to me, the psychological damage was starting to impede very quickly and I was spiralling down very quickly as well. When I, just a moment ago you said you were concerned about the pe your penis, like I, as a female, I want to try and understand what were you thinking before the operation that you were concerned about? It's um, it's about, for me, it's, it's being a complete man. Mm. Um, it's not that I'm a porno star or anything like that. It's just that having, uh, you know, like given even the thought of your penis getting shortened and things like that was just fearful. I was thinking, oh, my God, you know, like um, I'm going to be living, but. I'm not a complete man. Mm. So I think that's the thing that was really disturbing me. And and you um, told me that you were almost considering not having treatment. Oh, Can yes. you enlighten on that a little Yes, more? I think the fact that both my parents had died of cancer and the fact that I had a, I don't know, the percentages of impotence was high, um, having to wear nappies, um, wearing a catheter, wearing a bag, you know, it all sounded horrible. And I actually said to I said to my um, wife, you know what? If uh, Richard says I've got five to eight years, maybe it's better having five to eight good years rather than twenty shitty ones. So how and old are you now, Pedro? I'm sixty-two. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the time, I was thinking, you know, if I got five eight years, hey, that's that's pretty good. I don't have to worry about operations or you know nappies and stuff like that. So. I think that was going through my mind and then I had this big debate with friends and all of them wanted me to have the operation and I was thinking, yeah, but it's not you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what gives you the right to actually tell me what I have to do when it's my body? Um, so I did struggle quite a while. So uh, what was the thing that changed your mind? How did you change your mind? Um, 
my daughter was meant to get married this year in Positano, obviously, with in Italy. In Italy. Mm. Obviously, with COVID, it didn't happen. And we lost a bit of money, not, not that that matters. Then the second time she tried to uh, get the marriage done, it was to be in Byron Bay, mm-hmm. uh, and that didn't happen either. Oh. So when my daughter got the news, I called her. She was in Melbourne, and she burst out crying. Mm. And she said, Dad, oh God, it's going to get me teary. She said, Dad, I want you to have the operation because I want you to see my kids. Oh, well, so, that's the best reason um, ever. I think that was a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, okay, um, if that's what she wants me to do, I need to do that. Sometimes our children just teach us so I think much. so, my, yes. my, my children teach me every day how to be. Maybe they're just a little bit more innocent, but yes. they, want, they want us to be with them. Absolutely. No yeah, absolutely. And uh, then the penny dropped and I was thinking, oh, what the hell? You know, if I'm impotent, so be it. Um, you know, I still have people that love me and uh, especially my daughter. And my son was very understanding as well. So I think uh, at the end of the day, and after speaking to Richard, he was so professional. Mm. Um, and I felt like I was in good hands. Um and being a bit spiritual, I think I pray every day. And I said to God, I said, look, I'm going to leave it in your hands because, mm-hmm. you know, destiny is paid for me. You know what's ahead as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, it's whatever you want me to do in this journey, I'm up for so it. Then you got, sorry, and then you got sent to me for some pelvic yes. floor training <laughs> yes, from, I did. from your specialist. I did. And how did that I go? Did. I did. Initially, it was daunting because I didn't expect lovely lovely ladies to be tell, telling me <laughs> oh, what to do. Ladies. Whether lovely ladies. <laughs> what he was hoping for were like cruddy old baggy no, ones. <laughs> what to do with my penis and how, how am I That's supposed not- to? <laughs> <laughs> so initially I was thinking pelvic floor, oh my God, what is that? Um, so I think um, at the end of the day, everything was very fresh, very new. Um, I think prior to seeing you, I think I called the Cancer Foundation and they were very, very helpful. Wonderful. And yep. I think that's when the penny dropped and I burst into tears because she explained to me what a Gleason 7 was. I didn't know what it was before that, you know. So it's and just I, like I a think, number and a word. Yes, yeah. but uh, then I realised that it was aggressive and I had to do something quick. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's that's when I, even, even before the operation, I didn't think I was going to make it. Aww. I thought, you know, if I'm going to die on that operating table... So be it. So I tried to do as much as I could before that date. Can I yeah. ask, had you ever been unwell before? Had you had any operations? I've had about six operations. I've had okay. uh, four operations on my wrists. I've had shoulder operations. I've had my appendix out. You know, I've, I've had a few. I had a really bad car accident when I was in my 20s, nearly died. Vitreous hemorrhage of this eye. Oh. Uh, so th- th- a, lot, a lot of operations, yeah. There's something that I've observed, and I don't know if you have, Joe, but I feel as though – so we were talking before we started recording and you've obviously had a successful, long and varied career, like, yes. you know, um, corporate yes. life. And I feel as though men in particular who have had quite successful – um, careers where they've been in a lot of control find this 
episode much more difficult than other oh, absolutely, men. Absolutely, absolutely. Because do you feel that? Because yes, you've always, I, you had, uh, did you feel that feeling of having no control over yeah, what was going I, on? I, I think you're spot on because I think if I were to be guilty of anything, it's about being a high achiever mm-hmm. because I've always tried to outdo everyone. I've been bodybuilding competitions I've won that you know so I've been in like very competitive mm-hmm. and I think it's to do with my upbringing as well and the way my dad sort of brought me up you know like nothing was good enough mm-hmm. um, and I, I think, think that's a common thing I think we need to change your title to the Portuguese performer <laughs> Well, hopefully I can perform well, again. Well, with <laughs> Melissa's help, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and medically speaking, of course. Yeah. But, but, you know, I say this all the time, Melissa, and it's a really astute observation, I think. We are fortunate, I guess, to work in, in Western Australia, in the Western suburbs as well. We work with all the top specialists who do this operation very routinely. Yep. And people that we get to meet day in, day out, they can afford the best care. And they're often, they've got private health cover and they are champions at everything that sure. they do. They can provide for anybody at any level. And then they get knocked over by a silent illness where they are asymptomatic. They go for a blood test and then, bam, you get told you have cancer. Yes. All of a sudden you spiral into, oh, my God, I've got cancer. That's one word. Yes. That's in your head. Yes. And then I can get the cancer treated, but then I'm going to become impotent and incontinent and all those things that you mentioned before. So yep. that must be incredibly... Um, devastating, disempowering, all those words. You, you know, I talk about it all the time in my presentations that for someone to be so successful, the company execs, you know, do what you want whenever you want. You just work hard and then you get there. Yeah. You're putting your hands into someone else's life. Absolutely. And I totally Absolutely. agree with you. So what do you have to say on that sort of I, I think uh, for me it was an awakening and I think it was, again, the message from the heavens to humble myself, mm-hmm. you know, to just take things as they come. And I'm a changed person now because I'm going to, as soon as these COVID walls are down, I'm going travelling. I'm going to have the best time in my life. Are you going to take a yoga mat because um, I'll be there with you? <laughs> <laughs> I, and I said to my wife, you know, even... If you don't want to come, that's fine. We're having a few problems, a few issues. But the thing is that we've got a business that we've got an offer for buyers to buy, but she doesn't want to sell it Uh, because she's still used the lifestyle that she likes. And and I'm saying to her, you don't need much to be happy. Mm. And I think after what's happened to me, I think it's more important for me to spend time with loved ones. Mm. And and that's what I'm going to do. I'll spend a month in Sydney with my sister. Wonderful. You know, a month with my daughter in, in Melbourne. You know, I've got yeah. friends in Singapore. I've got friends in Canada. Well, absolutely. Yeah. You know, my nephew's in Amsterdam. There you go. So, you know, yeah, Pedro's got to work much. again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so. I'm gonna that's just wonderful. And I, I often say this is something called positive growth theory. When yep. I started my PhD, there, you have to do a proposal and there was a wonderful um, professor in the background and he asked me a question. His name was Professor Sandy Gordon and he said, Joe, have you thought about putting in a positive growth theory questionnaire into your PhD because lots of men who go through prostate cancer are going to actually have a positive story out of this. They're going to become fitter, healthier. They're going to start connecting with their partners. Mm. And I see that every day. And what you're just sharing with me I think is another one of those stories. Yeah. No, I certainly feel very positive after all that's happened. Now, so you had your surgery. Yes. Just in a nutshell, how how far post-op are you now? Six weeks. And 
how how do you feel like you're going with the nappies? I feel fantastic. Everything. I was, uh, you know, like Joe said, I was a, a eureka patient because I hardly leaked, um, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And with the odd sneeze here and there, and I'm thinking, oh, something's happening. But apart from that, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the impotence? Tell us about impotence. that. Impotence. Well, you've given me this pumps and, and stuff. Nobody else knows. So what do you do? Oh. Yeah, he's <laughs> got a moment. Yes, <laughs> what do you do? Prick. Come on. Come on. Well, the I, well, TPP. It, with, the, with the pump, it remains, well, not like how it was, but it's getting there. Mm-hmm. And I actually experienced my first orgasm, which was amazing. Now, was it amazing. better than before? Oh, yes. That's <laughs> the velvet floor. Oh, yes. This is the silver lining, anyone yeah. listening, to having yeah. your prostate out. Yeah. You've been Absolutely. dealing, you've been getting your pelvic floor going and yeah. your orgasms are Absolutely. better. It's actually, it's, it's like being losing my virginity all over again. It's oh. like amazing. This yeah. is wonderful. Can you describe, yeah. it, describe it, how it's different? It's now? like... Um, it's long. It's longer to get there, but it lasts longer. So it's more like an oh my god, and then stop and think about it because it's like still giving you a head spin. So yeah. it's actually it, it's a good feel. It's it a, sounds like a woman's orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I'm not a woman, so I can't yeah. say. Yeah. Men have described it to me as being before as being like a, a more focal local thing to being a whole body experience now. Yeah, yes. Does that sound? It, it does. It's yeah. not like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's more like you're you're in the moment for a lot longer. Mm. So I think it's yeah, it's it's good. And hopefully, if everything's working, you know, as we get down the track, then I think it's it's not a big deal. So just yeah. to clarify, you had this amazing orgasm, but no erection. No, the pump helps. Mm-hmm. It stays semi-erect for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then speaking to Richard Pemberton, he says, Look, give it two, three months. Um, you know, with medication, you should be okay. Yeah, and also so, I just think it's a really big thing and we've probably talked about this lots in our podcast, but just most people don't know that you can have an orgasm without an erection and I think that's a yes, really yeah. amazing thing to know. Yeah, that or seminal fluid as well mm. because that's missing, of course. Yeah. But it's Actually, that's a, that's a question that I'd like to ask you, uh, Pedro, mm. the Portuguese prick. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of men actually explain that physically it's quite challenging not to have that ejaculate fluid anymore. Can you land on that in your um, experience? I, I don't think – for me – it wasn't a big deal. I think it's it's more the different sensation. Uh, I, I, I'm not missing that bit at all. Because I always so. tell guys as well that, you know, female partners are probably quite happy about that because it's not the sort of mess behind <laughs> 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 the body yes. And there's nothing to mop up or, or the drip that comes late, later in the day. Yeah. Is yeah. yeah. No, but... No. Um, so, so I always reassure men that actually women wouldn't be at all you know, right. bothered most of the time, especially not potentially the the age group of the partners that we're dealing sure. with. You know, yeah. most most men who are going through prostate cancer are probably not going to be coming fathers anytime yeah. soon. So, yeah, um, not that you lose your fertility either; you're still masculine in every sense of the word, but you do have the seminal vesicles removed and yep. the prostate removed, and the prostate makes about twenty percent of the prostatic. Um, or ejaculate fluid, right. and then the seminal vesicles, a good proportion of it. Um, so, so it is, yeah, just one of those physical changes. But I'm pleased to hear that psychologically, it's not 
to devastating for you, as, as some men have said to me. No, not, not at all. I think I'm adjusting very well. Yeah, so it's uh, obviously the experience has been better than you anticipated. Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, all those initial fears were terrible. Yeah. Just on that, we had a little chat preoperatively and you said to me, I've had a chat with a bladder man. Yes. And he was your neighbour and he was No, a no, he's my cousin's husband. Okay. So yeah. let's have a chat about the bladder man's experiences because well, it's important to share the range of experiences. Definitely. He came and saw me, uh, meaning well. Um, he sat me down and lectured me for a long time, telling me that, uh, <laughs> that you know, I would be, you know, wearing pads, I would uh, not get an erection, that it would be terrible having, you know, the catheter and the bag strapped to your, your leg and, you know, everything was was horrible and, and I wasn't looking forward to any of that. Um, and I, I believe he wasn't a, a, a very good patient as far as whinging and complaining is concerned. So I think, I think having said that, I, maybe I shouldn't have listened to all that negativity um, before the operation because I was just putting myself you in so much fear. It. Yeah, You talked about that you just found darkness, whatever you read. So were you looking at um, like websites with like from medical groups like the Prostate Cancer Foundations and things like that? Um, where, no, where were you picking up the I, negative I, darkness? I, I guess uh, there's a lot of literature that Richard gave me to read. I, I did read up uh, very yeah. diligently. Mm -hmm. And I guess being uh, a numbers person, all the statistics, you know, of, you know, like 80% of impotence and all that type of thing. And I was just... Uh, scaring myself to death with all the things that could go wrong. Mm. Um, and and I think um, at the end of the day, after speaking with my daughter, I was thinking, what the heck? If it goes wrong, it goes wrong. So I was in full acceptance of the worst. Mm. Are, are you by nature a more negative person, do you think? My wife likes to say so. I think the way I, I dealt with it was to expect the worst and if anything was better... It was a bonus. That's so really I tough. sort of, mm. it, yeah, it, it's sort of a, the way I deal with things, I sort of expect the worst and try and and fix it like as a go along. into risk management there. Yes. And maybe that's something that you've had to do in your career. Yes. I think, like most males, I like to fix things. Mm. And sometimes I realise there's some things that I can't fix. So yeah. before the we started the podcast, the two of you were having some sort of in joke about an octopus. Tell me about that. So Pedro, the Portuguese prick, is a very interesting man. And one day we were having a chat and actually because he was doing so well, we didn't have to talk about his consonants or his pads at all. So somehow or other we talked about something called my octopus story. Yes. And he said, you must go watch this documentary. Yes, absolutely. Well, of course, Melissa had just talked to me about the octopusy penile vibratory <laughs> system on the same day. And, of course, I do what I do. And I started texting Melissa and going, octopus, what, what product is the octopus? Because I've got this patient who's talking about my octopus story and it's a documentary. And I, I'm a bit fascinated by octopus. My husband's Greek and it's the only food <laughs> I don't like eating. And, and um, here we are, the octopus story. Tell us about the octopus story. Okay, it's my octopus teacher, I oh, think see, it's I called. Get things a bit yeah. Wrong. <laughs> and uh, my, a friend suggested that I watch it. And in in my way of dealing with all this darkness and despair, feeling sorry for myself, I was turning to a lot of nature. I was doing wow. a lot of 
morning walks. I was doing, I do lots of photography. I go bush and I'll shoot waterfalls and and all that type of thing, which helped me escape. Mm. And when I saw this movie, it really touched me because I love animals as well. Mm. And this guy that went every day and he dived down and he actually made friends with an octopus and he took film of it every day for a year. And it's amazing. It's amazing. But the octopus became his friend. And almost his and lover. And lover. And like yeah. like a dog. And you you wouldn't think of sea creatures being that close to a human like a dog and a man can be. How, but how it, did he it, become his almost his lover? I'm, my well mind they, is they, boggling. Uh, they, there was sense of touch. They touch oh. each other. Um, he, he learned to... He learned from the octopus on, on defense strategies and how it outsmarted a shark when it tried to attack it. Um, you know, there's so many things that actually went on. But the bonding of these two, when they, when they eventually touch each other, it was like a moment of friendship with two completely different species, species. on this earth. And I, you actually, I was watching that movie on a Saturday afternoon, and at that moment when the tentacles, is it tentacles? Yes. Of, of the of the octopus, octopus unraveled and unfolded to to this man. Yes. I, I actually caught the picture on Aww. on screen and I sent yeah. it to you via text because yes. I, I'd burst into tears. Yeah. How could an octopus and a man well, absolutely. connect like that? Yeah, I think that's the, that's the golden moment of the fact that you can connect with almost anything on this so earth, really. So we share that, a link to that documentary because it is pretty special. It's about an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. But um, I shared it with my family and, and it teaches a lot. It does. About life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And how we take everything for granted and how we destroy the planet as we do. Mm. And at the end of the day, they've all got feelings. That yeah. is a way more highbrow story than my octopus story. <laughs> That's why we need to sh- bring things down a little now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or eight limbs. Eight limbs in yoga. I always go to the yoga, but we've got eight limbs in the octopus. Yeah. And tell us about... Really, I'm building on um, episode number four, Patrick Lombroso's introduction to the vibrorect and also the um, penile vibratory system for erectile function mm. and nerve healing. And the octopus had his limb uh, bitten off by a shark yes, and then it regrew it again. It regrew, correct, yes. And, like, it's so interesting. I was reading a lot about yeah. octopuses. But what? tell us about this connection with your octopus. <laughs> it's not my octopus, <laughs> but... There is a sex toy called a hot octopus or a pulse duo mm. and it is being particularly designed for flaccid orgasm. So I don't know if you've found this, Pedro, but when you try and stimulate a flaccid penis, does it take a bit longer than normal to get yes. to the orgasm? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that whole time thing, I imagine you can get a pretty sore arm if you're doing it for a while. So I've had a few gentlemen tell me that their arm gets a little bit sore and you need a (laughs) bit of time. So a Pulse Duo Hot Octopus toy is a toy that you put around the shaft of the penis and it's actually designed for a flaccid orgasm. And it vibrates and it's got it. Um, the frenulum, which is that little kind of bit underneath the head okay. of the penis, yes. it vibrates on that and the shaft and it just makes it – you don't need to move your arm up and down and end oh, up with tennis God. elbow and yeah. you just um, – it stimulates your penis and it also goes back and stimulates the nerves right, by going down the shaft of the penis. So it's a great toy 
Um, If anyone wants them, they're available online and you can have a look on my website. There's a blog about them. I've written a blog about my resident penis, Roger, trying one out. (laughs) Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, yeah, they're they're really great. So, And I've sold quite a few to people recently since we've tried them out and a lot of men say it is saving their tennis elbows. (laughs) And then they don't need physios. You're going to make me poor and my husband poor. (laughs) No, because they still need to fix their pelvic floor. They just don't need their elbow. (laughs) (laughs) So on that note... I want to talk a little bit more seriously about recovery of erectile function through nerve recovery. So we have this thing called neuropraxia. So men normally preoperatively have the nocturnal erections. So five or six times a night men normally get erections. So when you have the prostatic surgery, it impacts on the nerve called the cavernosal nerve that supplies Mm. the um, sexual function. So immediately we expect men, 100% of men to be impotent more or less. But we know that it takes two years to recover right. any nerve injury. And we call it a state of neuropraxia. Neuro-nerve-praxia is just um, a movement and it, a dysfunction in movement. So sure. the nerve goes to sleep and it takes up to two years to wake up. Now, statistics actually say that only 22% of men get their function back at what we call pre-op baseline levels at two years post-op. But that information is actually quite old and when we work in the clinic, we know that we're doing much better when we commence this whole penile rehabilitation process. And vibratory stimulation is just one of those things. Consonance has always been something that I felt was just related to the pelvic floor but I've literally found out in the last two months that the nerve that supplies the cavernosal tissues of erection actually runs alongside and is very much associated with consonance. So with my shockwave therapy... Um, which is a whole other topic to, to explore. I've had several men now, probably half a dozen, who've had ongoing incontinence that are now working with me with the shockwave to improve their sexual function. By chance, their continence function is quickly resolved. So I'm very keen to see the link between the nerve of sexual function and the nerve of continence function being aligned. I think it's a bit of a watch this space for further research. Okay. Um, but really... Interesting to me to ask you, Pedro, is how do you feel at this very early stage? Do you feel mm. like you're getting any um, sensation in the penis? Is, is, is it changing or is it improving? It's very early weeks. We wouldn't expect it. I think uh, there was only one time that I woke up in the night and I thought I had a semi-erection okay. on its own. Yep. And I thought, wow, you know, it's, there is hope. Mm. And and I think I've also learned not to be impatient because the more stress that I put on myself, I think it's going to be harder to recover. Sure. Yep. So I, I think at the end of the day, um, being fit, as you say, with you know my pelvic floor and being in the gym most of my life, I think I will recover a lot quicker mm. than uh, people who haven't actually been uh, th- that fit. And I think that word patience yes. is so such a big thing yeah. because I know when I see people for the first time, I will always say to them, it's going to take about two years for things to get right. back to normal. But inevitably, I will see someone at six to eight weeks and they'll be like, nothing's happening. 
And I'll go, remember I told you that it's going to take a couple of yes. years? Yeah. And I just – I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yes. Patience is – and it's very difficult to be patient. And I think it's a bit like when you're, you know, you're watching the clock, it goes really slowly. So yes, if you're watching course, the cock, yeah. it goes really slowly. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> I haven't heard her say that one before. No, made that up. <laughs> well, I had to ask Richard the question because I, I, I said to him, that when will I get back to normal sexual activity on its own? And then he said, look, Ross, two to three months in your case is what he said, which is is very encouraging. And I thought, wow, that is really encouraging. But again, I'm not impatient. I'm not, you know, I think I'm happy with the progress that I've made to date. Yeah. yeah, you bloody well should be. You've yeah. got an amazing organ. <laughs> I, told, I told you, you're a eureka patient. <laughs> now all you need a is Portuguese eureka patient. Yeah. And all you need now is a, you've got the octopus story. And then <laughs> yes, octopus that's and it. <laughs> and then you're going to go travelling and have your little backpack. That's Absolutely. the great thing. Hot octopuses are tiny. They're only the size of your palm of your hand. Oh, good God. And will they, will oh, they wow. get through the customs thing okay? Oh, they'll just think it's a wristband or something. Yeah. I don't know. You know like, we'll have it to show you. Yes. They won't yeah. know what it is. Sure. <laughs> uh, now, moving forward, we're only six weeks post-op. Around this time, you're allowed to start going back to normal everyday activities in terms of exercise. Yes. How are you feeling? Are you up to doing a little bit I, more? I've increased. I've, I've been doing light weights with, you know, like uh, you know, push-ups and uh, chest presses and the planking and all that type of yep. things. So all from I, Craig Gallingham's book. Yeah, 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 quite diligent. I still walk an hour every day. Uh, so I've been quite diligent on that front of, of uh, fitness so I I, um, I, I normally am, am quite a, a good follower of instructions so I think I'll get there and, and again just having I think to I'll get patient. there in six weeks and yeah. you know in, in uh, to a Portuguese man have you ever heard of the Greek word called ipomoni no. with a y p-o-m-o-n-o what so does that mean it Sorry. means patience patience it's a beautiful spelling though okay ipomoni Ipomomi. Yeah. I'll it's a nice word that. to remember. Yeah. My brother-in-law is Greek. Oh, yeah. is he? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I know that six weeks post-op, there'll be people listening all over the world who'll be absolutely stunned to hear that here you are, six weeks post-op. Yes. Not really wearing pads at all. No. Um, back to orgasms, penile rehabilitation moving along. That Your surgeon said your sexual function will probably only take two or three months. Yes. It's, it's not a coincidence here in Western Australia, we have very experienced surgeons. Um, that's how I got to do my PhD project. Sure. Um, so quickly we got 100 men recruited into our study. We worked together in a very tight unit and we do see patients like yes. you. We had a chat with um, Professor Mer- Declan Murphy just a couple of weeks ago and I talked about Eureka patients and he said it was really important to set realistic outcomes and I think that's absolutely true but I also know that we seem to be getting the formula right over here in Western Australia because sure. we've got people like Melissa seeing you pre-op as well as me, post-op. We're initiating very intensive programs early on and even today I had one patient come in and he never had a chance to have any pre-op physio and I felt like I was back 10 years ago because he was constantly leaking day and night, four pads oh, soaking gosh. through the night, the, yeah. the day and another two at night and never 
no idea whatsoever about pelvic floor training. So I'd like to make a bit of a plug here to um, we'll make sure that we get the uh, published papers from my own PhD linking in erectile function and pelvic floor exercises because that's been a bit of a theme and that was the reason I did my PhD to try and help improve those 22% outcome at two years which one in five men getting their sexual function back really wasn't good enough. But Pedro here, uh, we've talked about octopuses, we've talked about you know, performance and a range of things that have covered so many, so many topics. I love your, just your phrase earlier that you said, it's taught me to be humble. And I think you're going to have an easier time moving forward. I think you're going to be less hard on yourself. What do you think of that? I think I'm blessed. And the best news yet, I had my blood tests. And I've got 0.01% PSA. Congratulations. And Richard says I'm cancer-free. Wonderful. So I think that's the best news yet. So your yeah. daughter probably yeah, saved your, your daughter. life. Oh, she's here with me in Perth now. Yeah. And she's elated. And I keep saying to her, you've saved my life. Yeah. So, so when you get those day, grandchildren, you need to make sure you spend oh, lots yes. of time with them. And can you ask her to make one of them, if it's a boy, Pedro? <laughs> Yeah, without the print. She loves that name, so I will. Oh. I will prompt her. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for my coming pleasure. in, Pedro. Yes. We my really, pleasure. really appreciate it. And um, hopefully your story will be inspiring for all. I, I hope so. I saw a, yeah. a young guy today who's having his prostate out on Tuesday and he is extremely nervous. Oh. And I said to him, you'll be surprised how much better you feel than you think. So hopefully Once it's he over. has your story. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. I've Thank just got you. one thing. Has your daughter got married yet? No, oh. no, it's reprogrammed again. Byron Bay, and oh. we're looking at maybe February, March, oh, okay. with all the borders And you'll down. be able to walk her down the aisle. Oh, yes, okay, without any worry of without cancer. Without no pads, <laughs> no yes. cancer. Okay, yeah. well, all the best for your daughter's wedding, and she sounds like a special girl. She and we're, we're very happy that she encouraged you, because sometimes girls talk too much, but um, they mean well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pedro. Lives inside me. It's been there all of my life. Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight, so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. Campfires and birds, smoking bark in a cubby up a tree. Try to ignore the fading of the light.